Thank you so much. Hey, uh, we have uh, already had a great service today if we stopped right here. How many of you vote that we stop right here? Don't raise your hands, all right? We want to we wanna welcome those that are streaming with us this morning. I don't know if you've had a proper welcome, but I'll look down the barrel of the camera and say welcome into our service. And as we uh, gather today, I'm going to ask, would you turn in your Bible to uh, 1 Samuel chapter number 22? 1 Samuel chapter number 22. Just going to make a statement if you agree with it. Uh, I'd love to hear a big, huge amen. If you don't agree with it, then just sit there silent. But uh, I would suggest to you that anytime I, we serve the Lord and we try to perform any kind of ministry in terms of kingdom ministry, it can be extremely difficult. Do I have an amen to that? And today I just wanna to talk to you heart to heart about difficulty that we have in ministry. I was just watching the orchestra this morning. I, I love to watch the, I'm a trumpet player uh, and uh, I, I don't currently have a trumpet, but please don't bring me one from our garage sale or anything else. It wouldn't take very long for my lips to buzz out. Uh, you, you have to keep your lips in shape and all those kind of things. Uh, but I, I love watching the orchestra and listening to them play. And that's one of the highlights for me each week. But you, you, you know, the orchestra puts their whole heart and soul into playing. But even that can come with them challenges. Someone that's here today that's been trying to sink their heart and soul, developing a small group, maybe it's in our student ministry. And you look around, and especially in these summer Sundays, and you look around your room and there's two kids there. And it's like, hey, there's 13 on roll. And sometimes you leave that classroom feeling like a total failure. I mean, it can be a deacon in his service, a small group leader in any particular area. And today, I, I just, uh, my heart has been very filled with this concept to talk to you about difficulty in ministry as you and I are serving. And in our Bibles, in 1 Samuel chapter 22, we have one of these most unusual moments I believe it's one of the most unusual moments in all the Bible, and not so much just because of 1 Samuel 22, that moment itself, but really what has led up to that, up to those incredible moments. As we look at God's word today, I think we all have got to search our hearts and ask really a simple question, are we serving for the kingdom of God out of promotion of ourselves, or are we serving to serve God's purposes? And that's a big question. Are we really deep down promoting ourselves? Is it really more about the, the, the saving of our own image? Or are we really serving the kingdom to serve his purposes? And when we begin to serve in any kind of kingdom ministry, you've got to understand there's going to be opposition, there's going to be persecution, there's going to be disappointments. And we know at the heart of that are people. People disappoint us. People shock us. People surprise us. There's so many times we walk away in our Christian life and we're wow, didn't see that coming. And when we experience that, We've got to be able to be equipped to handle it. 
And so out of the life of David today, I want us to go back in the scope of his ministry, if you will, and look at a really key defining moment. Because it is so often in the midst of this persecution, disappointments, that these, these, these things become the classroom, if you will, of our preparation. So often the very persecution that we feel and we experience becomes the very place, the classroom, where God is doing his greatest work in our lives. Now in a moment, as we read in God's word in 1 Samuel chapter 22, we're gonna see David is in a cave. But you know, there are many people in ministry that have these kind of experiences. We think about Jeremiah over in Jeremiah chapter nine. Jeremiah had a heartfelt statement in the, in the ninth chapter. He says, oh, that my head were waters and my eyes were a fountain that I could weep both day and night. We know the weeping prophet, if you will. The, Jeremiah's heart was just broken with discouragement and disappointment. You remember on Nehemiah? Nehemiah hears that report of that homeland, Jerusalem, and how people are using the bathroom. <laughs> you got that? The bathroom in the temple area. The walls have been destroyed. And Nehemiah, as he hears that report, it was quite simple and concise. It, it said he sat down, he wept, he fasted, and he mourned for days. We think about in our Bible the incredible story of Paul and how he goes into Corinth, his problem child church. How disappointing that was. We know he wrote at least three letters to Corinth in times that he couldn't be there. Plus he spent a large amount of time of his ministry there. And in 1 Corinthians, in that first letter in chapter two, he says, as I came to you, I did so in weakness and trembling. And I just wonder at times in these places of disappointment, discouragement, in these places of persecution, hardship, and difficulty. Again, if that's not that place of preparation that really enables us or springboards us to be able to endure the difficulties of service. And so I just toss that out to you. Could the place of preparation be the real place that enables you and I to endure the difficulties that we so often face in these places of difficulties. Let's read one verse together today. It'll just get us started. Don't worry, we're gonna read a lot more before we're done. But in 1 Samuel chapter 22, here's what God's word says. I'm just gonna read verse number one. David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. When his brothers and his father's household heard about it, they went down to him there. That's an incredible statement. The first part of verse number one, he escaped the cave, he escaped and left Gath, and there he was in a cave. I just wish I'll do my best to pour my heart out and tell you where David was in that moment. In fact, if you got your Bibles open, you might turn all the way back to around chapter 18 and just kind of thumb through with me as we think about what led David into this place. 
We're, we're aware that in chapter 17 and 18, David kills Goliath. It is an incredible moment in history. And there was a great celebration. In fact, King Saul so celebrated David that he began anointing him into special places of service. King Saul says, hey, you're no, you're no longer just some kind of musician, <laughs> but man, you're gonna be in a, a place of special service. But we know that didn't last long. In fact, our Bible tells us that as the warriors around began to sing, Saul is the conqueror of thousands, but David, the conqueror of 10,000s. It didn't take very many times to sing those stanzas that Saul began to have rage and anger toward David. In fact, in chapter 18 and verse eight, the Bible says Saul became very bitter. He became angry. He became mad. He became very suspicious. In that 18th chapter in verse 10, the, the Bible says a very evil spirit came upon Saul. In that eighth chapter, in verse 11, it came to a head and Saul got David cornered, evidently in a pretty small room. Now, we know historically Saul was a very tall and big man. And here's David, much younger. In fact, in Western terminology, we'd say probably pretty scrawny. And in the midst of that, he takes a spear in that 18th chapter and tries to kill David with it. But he misses you know, I was thinking this week is looking through some of these, these chapters and what all had happened to David leading up to that cave experience. Isn't it amazing that God can make easy targets hard to hit? And just the opposite true, isn't it? There are times that God can make tough targets easy to hit. But David now is a man on the run. You get to that 19th chapter and he meets with Jonathan. And Jonathan says, man, you've got to run. You've got to go to a secret place. So what does David do in the middle of chapter 19? He goes to this special lady in his life. We'll call her David's wife. And we use that in terms of Middle Eastern history and culture, but that's another sermon for another day. Mikhail tells him, you run. And uh, they're after David and David has to sneak out the back window. And so his wife, I put that in parentheses, puts goat hair on an idol that there is in the house and tries to disguise like David's there and he's asleep. And next thing you know, David in chapter number 19 is run all the way to Ramah and he's hiding with the priest. He's hiding out under the very robes of the priesthood. And we can expect what's gonna happen. Saul follows him there. First Saul sends an entourage and tries to capture him. And then later Saul goes to himself only to end up at the end of chapter 19 with Saul and everybody that was there having a huge worship service. If you ever want some incredible, exciting reading, you ought to read the end of chapter 19. It's one of the few times that we've seen people remove their clothes during worship, but we won't go any further than that. couple of people back here in the corner just nudged their husbands, you better wake up, this is getting good. <laughs> now, is that crazy leading up to the cave? Oh, we're not done. You get over into chapter 20, David meets back with Jonathan again. And, and, and at that moment, David cries out, Jonathan, what have I done? I mean, all I've done is serve the king. I mean, what have I done to deserve this? And he and Jonathan began to work out this system, maybe you remember it, with arrows, 
It was a warning system, if you will. And we have all of that going on. And then, and then in chapter 21, David escapes again, another harrowing experience, and he runs to Elimelech and Nob, another set of religious leaders. And there we began to see the wear and tear on David's life. In chapter 21, we begin to see how unreliable he is. In his panic, his exhaustion, he begins to make some uncharistic, I mean, mean, it's not his character, mistakes. He begins to lie to the priests. And then in chapter 21, we begin to see he becomes unraveled and unrestrained. Out of his panic, he begins to blabber and share way too many things. And then we see some some uncustomary characteristics that begin to come out of David's life. In fact, when you get to the end of chapter 21, David takes the actual sword of Goliath and takes it back to the very home of the Philistines. Well, that would be like a, a, a horse walking himself to the glue factory. Or you have, have you got me? I mean, David's taking the sword of the Philistine that he killed to the home base and he encounters King Achish there. And all of a sudden, David begins to drool and slobber. He begins to act like he's completely out of his mind. Maybe he is. And he begins to scribble on the gates there. And finally, the authorities there in that Philistine area say, hey, we got enough nutcases on our hands to have another one here. And so it's out of that escape. Are you starting to get the picture? that we find chapter 22 and verse one. And David now is alone in a cave. No wife to talk with. No friend like Jonathan to communicate with. No priest to confide in. In fact, he's there all alone. Not even a pagan Philistine king to encounter. And I would just suggest to you as we begin walking through some of these principles, I think it's so very important that we understand one of the things that we miss in all of those chapters is something that David does not do. In all of those moments, David never reaches out and prays to God. Not one time from chapter 18 on do we see David crying out to his God. So what about these moments in the cave? What what goes on there? What kind of a communication is going on between God and David? I know as you look in that 22nd chapter, You just kind of scroll through there and you say, well, it doesn't really look like anything is there for us in the text, Pastor Mike. I would suggest to you there's plenty in the text for us. In fact, as we've walked through almost two and a half, really three months of prominent psalms, we know two of those psalms were written with David in a cave. I'm going to ask for just a moment, would you turn with me to Psalm 142? If you'll turn back there, one of the two Psalms that David wrote while he was 
in this cave. And I just ask that you turn there to Psalm 142 and let's begin reading in verse number one and let's peek in. Let's just take a quick glimpse. Let's turn our ear closer to the very edge of this cave and see what David and God, what is the discourse, at least what is David's discourse to God? And here's what Psalm 142 and verse number one say, I cry aloud to the Lord. I lift up my voice to the Lord for mercy. I pour out before him my complaint. Before him, I tell my trouble. Have you ever stopped to think that in these moments when you and I are experiencing some challenging days in our service for kingdom, when we're experiencing those moments when we're discouraged, we're depressed, when we're under attack, in those moments when we're misunderstood, in those moments when we are just shocked and never saw that kind of coming moment, have you ever stopped to think that God often puts us in these places of isolation? In fact, let's jot this very important principle down today. Ministry often exposes you and me to periods of isolation. Ministry often exposes you and me to periods of isolation. As we read about David and his incredible life and his ministry, the goods and the not so goods, the moments of discouragement and the great moments of joy and jubilation. One of the things that stands out to us is how David is brought to this place of isolation. Did you, did you notice it in Psalm 142? I cry aloud to the Lord. No need to, to talk silently. It's just he and God in the cave. So he says, I speak out loudly. I lift up my voice where I can be prominently heard before the Lord. And I do so for mercy. I pour out before him my complaint. Lord, what have I done? I mean, all I've done is kill this Philistine and serve my king. What have I done? And he says, I even come to that point of telling him my trouble. Have you ever thought about in this place of isolation? It's so important that there is a place that you can always talk to God. But it's also a place that God can always have his attention with you and he can talk to you. And really, David, look at it. David uh, brings us to the point of even kind of, there's a recollection of the past, didn't it? Look in verse number three. When my spirit grows faint within me, it is you who watch over my way. In the path where I walk, people have hidden a snare for me. Look at that statement. It's you who watch over my way. Isn't it wonderful today to know that God may not change our circumstances, but he may change us. And God always provides for us. In fact, look at verse number five. Uh, just scroll down a little bit and look at verse number five. I cry to the Lord, you Lord, I say you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Notice the present tense there. You are my refuge. He's recognizing God's provision there. Isn't it wonderful that God always provides for our needs? You better say amen to that. God always provides for our needs. And then look down in verse number seven where he's realizing God's total redemption there and he's celebrating, set me free from my prison that I may praise your name. Well, there's a defining moment. Are we serving for self-promotion? 
Or are we serving for the very needs of the kingdom, serving our God? In the verse number seven, then the righteous will gather around me because of your goodness to me. The place of preparation, a place of isolation that God has placed us. I just want to mention to you this. It appears to me that this isolation that we all go through when we serve at different junctures of our life almost always has the caveat of education connected to it. Isolation and preparation almost always involves education. Now, we just barely got started over there in 1 Samuel 22. Head back there with me, and let's read a little bit further. 1 Samuel chapter 22. Let's work through a couple of these verses. David left Gath. He escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and his father and household heard about it, they went down to him there. Now, notice verse 2. All those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him and he became their commander. About 400 men were with him. I have to chuckle (laughs) because so often as Christian leaders, you and I get to some of these low ebbs of whatever service we're doing. And we just get tired, we get worn out, we're not pleased with results, whatever it may be. And, and I guess in our minds, we're expecting that someone's gonna come and lift our spirits. There's gonna be someone come in our life and everything's just gonna be okay because they walk into the door. And so oftentimes what ends up happening, the challenges of ministry, the challenges of the task grow greater and greater and greater. I mean, I don't know about you, but anybody that was drooling and slobbering in the, at the Philistine gates may not be. I think our committee on committees would say, we better not elect David right now. The guy was drooling, acting crazy here just a short time ago. So we need to give him a what? A sabbatical. And maybe from a philosophical, from a health perspective, from an emotional standpoint, maybe that would be good counsel. But what does God do? (laughs) All of a sudden, these destitute people start to find their way up to the cave opening. Little by little, they begin to trickle up. And did you notice the description of them? People that were in debt, People that had all kinds of life disappointments, many of them were the outcast of life. And here they come, and what do they do? They place themselves under the authority of David. Now, I don't know about you, but if I looked out the, the front of the cave one morning and there were 400 destitute men out there, in fact, the description says they were in great distress or they were in distress, they were in debt, or they were discontented and they had gathered there, I would have thought, Lord, what do you want me to do with these people? Have you ever been there serving? It's kind of like, Lord, I can't do anymore. Here, Lord, here's my Bible. Here's my Sunday school quarterly. 
Lord, I'm turning in the handbook. I'm going on sabbatical and vacation. I need a rest. And God said, I'll give you a rest. Here's 400 people I want you to pour your life into. And you know, the Bible tells us that that's an important leadership lesson for David. If you look a little further, the Bible tells us this. Look, it says, from there, David went to Mizpah in, in Moab and said to the king of Moab, would, 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 would you let my father and my mother come and stay with you until I learn what God will do for me? I mean, I mean, here's an important lesson that we see David learning. Now, now he's got his own issues. And what Christian leader in this room doesn't have your own issues? We all do. And now he's got this immediate need of these 400 men that have come up to the, the very mouth of this cave. Hey, maybe David can help us. He's a great war hero. I know he's wanted, but he's a great man. So we'll just go up there and see. I mean, I mean, I owe so much money I can never pay it back. Or, you know, I've, I've committed this crime or I've done this and I've become completely disenfranchised with the whole earthly system. So I'll just go let David. And, and now we see another clue. David got, has some internal family issues going on. Did you notice where David went? He took his family to Moab. You know, there was another lady that traveled out of the Bethlehem area over to Moab. Her name was Ruth. Naomi and Ruth made their way, well, Naomi and Ruth, you remember that encounter. Remember, David's great-grandmother was a Moabitess. And family always takes family in. David's life was in such a precarious, dangerous place that he now is showing compassion for his family. The important lesson of compassion. Education has many layers. But here's what I really want to show you this morning. This education really was about instruction for God's people. Now I want you to stay with me. Go now to 2 Samuel. That's right, 2 Samuel and go all the way over to chapter 23 and look at verse number eight. Chapter 23 and verse number eight. And I just wanna remind you of this phrase that we had out of chapter 22. 400 men gathered at the mouth of that cave. What kind of men? Discouraged men, men that were broke, men that were in debt, men that were coming out of debt servitude. Really evidently a pretty crazy band of men evidently. But when we get over to 2 Samuel, chapter number 23, scroll down to verse number eight and look at this incredible statement. These are the names, are you reading it? Of David's, what's that word? Mighty 
warriors, mighty men. Now put your thinking caps on with me. You tell me what happened between 1 Samuel chapter 22 when this, how would you describe them? (laughs) These men that had all kinds of issues. You tell me what the difference was between 1 Samuel chapter 22 and 2 Samuel chapter 23 where now these men are listed out and they're described as David's mighty men. I'll tell you what the difference was. David was pouring his life into these men. You're there in 2 Samuel chapter 23. Look in verse number one. Look in verse number one and two and what the Bible tells us there. It was David, he was there and what was he doing? He was sharing the word of God. Do you see it in verse number two? Can you imagine over this period of time, David begins to invest in this group of men. The Bible says he begins to sharing the word of God. He begins sharing the very precepts of God. Maybe they're out there around a campfire. As they're doing so, David continues to invest. Yeah, slobbering David. David on the run. David that went out the back window. David that did all kinds of things. David kept investing. And what was the result? The result was the development of a group of mighty men. And so that instruction was instruction of the word, but there's also instruction of the worship. A few moments ago, I said there were two Psalms. Do you remember that? Two Psalms that David evidently wrote while he was in this cave. We know Psalm 142 was one of them because we just looked at it, but I invite you now to turn to the other Psalm, Psalm 57. The other Psalm that we believe that David wrote while he was in this cave was Psalm 57. Can you imagine David at some point teaching these men not just the word but to worship. I want you to look at the last three or four verses of Psalm 57. Can you imagine David investing in these men? Look down in verse number eight. Anybody feel like singing with me this morning? Mike Britton. You feel like singing with me this morning? You, you wouldn't want to come up and say, hey, I've got you some water right here, Mike. Is, you, is your throat dry? Jared, you feel like singing with me this morning? Come on up, Jared. Come on up. How good's the sound guy? Oh, it's a, it's a fill-in today. Mm. Green, you know what green means? You ready? Green. This is green. You got it? You want me to turn it on? Come on up, man. I'm going to give you the words. Here they are right here. You looking at Psalm 57? Have have we rehearsed this? I haven't seen you or talked to you since the baptistry back there. That's right. That's right. When we were changing clothes together, right? Okay. These are the words that we're going to sing right here. You ready? Okay. All right, check, check your microphone and be sure check. it's on. Okay. 
Awake, my soul, awake, harpin. Clear. I will awaken the dawn. We're not done. It's a men's group. Can you imagine around the campfire? I will praise you, Lord, among the nations. I will sing of you among the peoples. Let's change the key of F now. No. For great is your Lord reaching to the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. Scott, anytime we go upward, you need to go upward. Modulate upward. Now let's finish on a real high crescendo. You ready? Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. You won't remember anything else about the message today, but you'll remember that, won't you? Can you imagine investing? As we walk out of here this morning, I just want you to know what you just experienced in the baptistry, that's what keeps your pastor going. If you look over here on this side, there's about five or six or seven ladies that have been investing. And there were probably some days when they didn't feel like investing. There were some days when they had some family problems. There were some days when others gathered at the mouth of their cave when they were seeking in an isolated state. You know, I, I can't go a step further. But they kept investing. And so today I just speak into the hearts of those that are in Christian service. The man that walks in, he's prepared all week and there just sits one or two people in his class and it's discouraging. Or someone that attempts to really accomplish something for the kingdom of God and, and then they get people that just whack them down and knock them down and there's discouragement. And the tendency in us all is to say, you know, Lord, I mean, you know David fought this tendency we heard that of his heart in the first psalm that we read. Lord, I just come to you for my refuge. I'm done with that. Can I just stay in the cave? And in the midst of crying out to God, there was a noise outside the cave. And David went to the mouth of that cave and he began to look out. And on the terrain coming upward were really a group of strange looking men. And the more he began to get to know them, they had all kinds of problems. A lot of them were in debt. A lot of them were discouraged. Some of them in trouble with the law. But the Bible tells us that David takes God's word and he begins imparting it to them. 
And he takes them to a place and he begins to model worship. Can you imagine him breaking out singing? How, how an incredible moment that must have been. And so this morning, don't give up. One changed life makes it completely worthwhile. And remember in that place of isolation and in the place of service coming out of that isolation, God now has our attention. And so often that is where God allows us to be so extremely effective. Pray with me this morning. Lord, we serve in a needy community. And Father, it's not just this great city, but it's this world that we live in. A world where almost six out of 10 marriages are broken to the point that there's no repairing and they're ended. We live in a world where there's identity issues that abound. We live in a world where people are hurting and broken. And Father, when we say people, that includes us. We too are a people that are broken. So Father, when we're broken down and the world is broken down, what is there to do? And Father, we come back to what we started with. Ministry is so very difficult. It's costly. But Father, when your word is proclaimed and your people are lifted up and they exalt the name of Jesus, Father, we know out of that true, authentic worship, great things can happen. So Father, would you, this morning is only you can do. Would you minister to the heart of someone that's here today that is in their own cave of isolation? Maybe they're coming out of a broken relationship and they're trying to pick up the pieces. Maybe they're at the very brink of being through with church life. Maybe they're praying about service for a new year that starts just in a few weeks. And after years and years of what they perceive to be, well, very little effectiveness, they're discouraged. And Father, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would minister to us as only you can. Thank you for the powerful word of God that we can take a living, vibrant example out of your word because your word is alive. Historically, going back and we can feel David's heartbeat through your word that you preserve for us. So Father, lift our spirits. Use us. Bring about the fresh challenges that you desire in our hearts and lives. In these things we pray, in Jesus' name.
And all God's people said, amen.